Welcome to Savage Minds. I'm your host, Julian Vigo. Today's guest is Anne Menashe. Anne Menashe is a longtime civil rights attorney in California and is a lesbian, feminist, socialist, and grassroots activist. Menashe is also a founding member and co-coordinator of Feminists in Struggle, a national radical feminist organization, and a founding member and co-chair of the Green Alliance for Sex-Based Rights. Her 99 book on compulsory heterosexuality is Leaving the Life, Lesbians, Ex-Lesbians, and the Heterosexual Imperative. Menashe has been a Green Party member for several decades and is a member of the County Council for San Diego County. In January of this year, Menashe lodged a legal complaint against Disability Rights California, a nonprofit corporation for discrimination and harassment, among other charges, shortly after a statement on abortion was issued by Disability Rights California, and Menashe responded to the listserv statement after she noted that abortion was a sex-based issue affecting women and girls and not a gender issue. I welcome Anne Menashe to Savage Minds. I've been dying to talk to you for obvious reasons. Yours, it's like we could have, uh, I always joke about this. I guess I'll never stop joking about this until it stops. But I always joke and say that we could have a C-SPAN 24-7 news cycle on this issue because it's gotten to be so bad that you've got just every week another dozen crazy stories coming up. Now yours, I heard about at the beginning of the year. And I'm wondering if you could, I briefly introduced you now, but if you could elaborate to our listeners, what happened to you, and quite paradoxically, with a group, Disability Rights California, that's ostensibly supposed to be aware of rights? (laughs) Yes, it's quite, it's quite ironic. And um, it was, it was last year that all this happened, last May, it was a year anniversary of being fired on May 11th. And what happened was, and I know more about it now than I did before, because we're in the midst, I filed suit and I'm in the midst of discovery, but there was a concerted effort by a group of coworkers um, to get me fired. Um, And uh, it was all about, a lot of it was about being a lesbian, actually. (laughs) It turns out much more than I even suspected. But the, the incident that precipitated the firing uh, regarded abortion rights, uh, where my liberal um, employer took a stand in support of abortion rights um, when uh, Roe v. Wade was about to be overturned, and there was the leak of the Dobbs decision. So, so they took a stand, um, which was really nice, except they men- didn't mention, of all the groups that could be affected, did not mention women the group that's targeted uh so uh, and uh so this the information that, that they had taken a stand was sent to our all staff list we have a couple hundred employees at, at, at drc as it's called around the state of california and uh our executive director uh encouraged feedback and other people said oh good great thank you for the statement so i responded to and i said um it's, it's not that long. I'm going to, I'm going to kind of read part of it at least. Uh, so glad DRC came up with a statement in defense of Roe. Thank you. Access to safe legal abortion is a life and death necessity for women as a biological sex across the board, regardless of race, economic class, gender identity, sexual orientation, 
Even lesbians can be raped or anything else and an absolute prerequisite for equal female participation in our society. And I said a little bit more along those lines about how I was a, a fighter for abortion rights before Roe. Um, I never thought it would come to this. And thank you again for taking a stand. That was my statement. I did not in, in my wildest dreams imagine that would cause a problem. <laughs> um, I mean, I knew I was, I was trying to, you know, emphasize sex and I knew that there was an issue with that, but I didn't think that what happened would happen. So um, all hell broke loose, essentially. Um, I had one person who I didn't even know, and we had been working remotely for a couple of years, but I never met this person, and we are all over the state, uh, uh, who apparently, uh, it turns out, was involved in the, it was, this person was a, a fellow in the fel a fellowship program with the Trans Advocacy Project, called me a turf, a hate mongerer, and that my language was a dog whistle that would result in, quote, serious violence and stigma against trans people who need abortions. Uh, this person had, um, to my surprise, also had apparently investigated my work with Feminists and Struggle. I'm a founding member of a radical feminist organization called Feminists and Struggle in the United States. Um, had been uh, investigating, and I'm online. If you Google me, you'll find me. <laughs> uh, and had been listening to my videos and try to quote me out of context to, to show what a hateful bigot I was. Um, and so there was some back and forth. A couple of people uh, uh, commented to me privately that they were glad I said something. They agreed with me. But I was, you know, attacked by some people uh, in authority or in management, um, not by the executive director specifically, uh, but he uh, he just said the statement speaks for itself. Um, it used deliberately trans inclusive language. Um, so that was a Friday. Uh, uh, <laughs> and it was uh, I was in shock. Uh, but not as much as I would be later. Then on a uh, that following Monday, we had a regularly regularly scheduled meeting that was supposed to take place at two o'clock in the afternoon um, for my civil rights uh, practice group, which was all the people who did civil rights work in specifically in the agency. We have different departments that do different kinds of things, and this is more like you know. Americans with Disabilities Act, you know, the discrimination kinds of lawsuits, things like that. So um, we had our regular scheduled meeting. It didn't happen. It it happened behind my back in the morning. They canceled the afternoon meeting, which they never, ever do, no matter what, because there's always enough people to go, even if somebody's in court or something. Uh, uh, so they canceled the afternoon meeting. They had a meeting behind my back and came up with a uniform statement condemning me. Um, didn't use my name, but it was completely clear what they, who they were talking about. Uh, that they said, um, we, Disability Rights California's Civil Rights Practice Group, want to clearly state we support, value, and celebrate our trans colleagues. We reject any actions that would deny or minimize their full identities. The members of the team acknowledge the threat to civil rights presented by the May 6th All Staff Correspondence. The opinion expressed by one of our current members, yours truly, of course, um, does not reflect the civil rights practice group's values or mission. Um, and uh, so at that point, I thought, 
a good defense was an offense. And, and also it was just, I mean, it was just shocking. I, I couldn't believe it did that. So I said what I thought that I thought it was homophobic. It turns out more than I even suspected that, but uh, um, uh, it was uh, homophobic and that it was really important for women as a sex to, uh, to um, be able to maintain, uh, you know, being a sex, you know, be able to talk about sex. Um, and that it was a crime of political opinion and that it was McCarthy-like. And I, I just, you know, let let him have it. I read your statement, Anne. And the thing is, is I expected it to be something even slightly caustic. I'm going to read briefly the original statement with part of it that's cited in your case. Access to health care is a fundamental human right and overturning Roe v. Wade would risk the reproductive rights of millions. This reversal would also disproportionately negatively impact the most vulnerable populations, including people with disabilities, people of color, people right. living in poverty, and those without the means to travel. I find this statement by your former employer to be misogynist, to say the least. The fact that they can't, just like so many other NGOs, private and public entities cannot manage to say the W word. I thought your response was so polite. I would have been much more in their face saying, uh, this is a very great statement, aside from the fact that you have completely eviscerated the word woman from the, and you didn't really say that. Your statement, which I'll link to the legal complaint in the description to the podcast, but I think it's really important that people see the delicacy with which you approach this issue, the fact that the blowback to you is then to call you transphobic beggar's belief because your statement, and it's so gentle. It's so... I was trying to be diplomatic. And so continue your story. I'm sorry. I just wanted to give the listeners a slice of what you were dealing with to know that basically you were responding to the statement made by the Disability Rights California's statement that's basically used the word people instead of women and purposely use people over and over. It was almost like they were trying to make that word as much as possible present within the text. And my response was to be diplomatic and but to say, hey, women exist and it's women that are being targeted by abortion, excuse me. And then I, and then so when all the flow, the blowback came, I said, um, I was talking about sex, not gender, to try to make it clear what I was saying. And that every everyone uh, who's who can get pregnant is female. I mean, this is like shouldn't be a shock to anybody who knows basic biology who's over the age of seven. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so I, I everyone should know that. So I was trying to say that, and that of course was more evidence of my bigotry because I denied their full identities. Um, and so the 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 extent to which this ideology had permeated at my agency is just really beyond belief. So, so then just to say what happened after that, um, uh, that was on a Monday, Wednesday, I was in a dentist appointment. They didn't even know, they knew I was, uh, was not even available, um, cause it was on my calendar, et cetera. And I got a text from, from, uh, someone in management, um, who said just this quote, we need to inform you that your employment with DRC is terminated due to ongoing performance issues. There were no ongoing performance issues. Um, well, so, your brain was not properly recognizing the female penis. Obviously. <laughs> exactly. That's not a performance issue. Jeez, uh, yeah, not a performance issue. I've been working there for 20 years when this happened. And if I can just go back and give it a little context, I found out more as this case has gone forward and we've begun a discovery phase, uh, that there really wasn't a, a concerted effort to get me fired. And it, 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 
went back quite a ways. I'm not clear exactly how far, but maybe years. Um, I had, um, uh, in 2016, I had been attacked online um, uh, and I was completely innocent of, of knowing that there that what I said would cause a problem. Um, but, um, I was on Facebook and, uh, um, got into a discussion, uh, with people. I, of course, I didn't really know. I had befriended all these people, um, during the election campaign. And, and so the issue of women's rights came up and I said, women have a right to, we're oppressed as a sex, uh, and we should all unite, uh, for support everybody's rights. And, you know, something really diplomatic and nice and and i got attacked as a as a nazi uh transphobe um a promoter of genocide and the people who were piling on um i was stupid enough to have listed my employer on my facebook page which was immediately taking off after that um but um they contacted my employer and said what a bigot i was and how i shouldn't be working there i was in 2020 I guess it was early 2017 that that happened. Um, at that point, my employer said, you're fine. Don't worry. I, we saw what you wrote. They quoted it. We don't see a problem with it. That's what they told me. It's fine. Same person who actually fired me um, later, um, who was perfect, who was my immediate supervisor at that time before he got promoted. Uh, and um, he was fine with it. Uh, but then um, in 2019, um, they, they well, they started becoming much more um, influenced by the most extreme version of gender identity ideology you can imagine was starting to seep into the agency in all kinds of ways. And we had a, a, a diversity training. Uh, this is while we were still in the office before COVID hit 2019. We had diversity training and they were giving us all these definitions from the trans project, whatever it is, um, of redefining everything, including, of course, lesbian, which was now same gender attraction, not same sex attraction. And I was so I was, you know, speaking up as I I've always been an outspoken person and I say my opinions. Uh, right from my positions. And I said, oh, you know, first, how are you defining sex? How are you defining gender? Um, and, and then, hey, wait a minute, that's not how I define a lesbian. I, am, I was an out lesbian. Everyone knew it was a lesbian. I said, my lesbianism is same sex. It's not same gender. And then I was privately called. Uh, I got a private message saying that's transphobic. Um, so that uh, I got concerned about that. Again, you know, things are getting more extreme. So what's going on here? So I was concerned enough to talk to my HR director at that point. I spoke to my HR director and I said, am I still protected at DRC for being a woman or for being a, particularly for being a lesbian? I want to, I want to know, am I protected or not? <laughs> and he's, he's, he was a gay man. He's no, he unfortunately no longer working there when I got fired. I don't know if the story would have been different or not, but um, he was pretty, he was pretty understanding. I, I talked a lot about some, you know, stuff like, you know, women's bathrooms. And I mean, I did, we had some discussion back and forth about some of these things and, and about, um, you know, homosexuality. And he got the homosexuality piece pretty well because he's a gay man. He said, well, you know, I wouldn't want to date a trans man either, actually, to tell you the truth. <laughs> and, and I understand how you feel about that. And yeah, you're protected. Don't worry. You're, you're definitely, you know, those are protected categories and you're protected in this agency. That's what he told me. So, 
So, but it turns out um, I wasn't. And the anti-lesbian part of this story really became much stronger than I even suspected. Um, a couple of things that I found out later. One is, well, one is I, um, this coworker who I didn't know who had been hired um, a few months previous to my firing um, um, and was in the San Diego office, but none of us were in the office, so I never met her and I didn't know who she was. But she uh, came forward to me after I was fired and uh, and wanted to talk to me. And 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 she ter- turns out she's a conservative uh, Christian, um, but very kind of libertarian. In her, in her, um, she when we met later, she she told me she supports gay marriage, even though she doesn't support it. But legally, she does because she thinks should be you know fair <laughs> even though morally she didn't so sort of she's that kind of person she's it's actually a really, really nice person came out and came to me and said um this horrible what happened to you and let me tell you i got fired too she got fired apparently she um asked my boss uh why i got why i got fired she didn't understand why i was fired she, she just didn't get it. And so she needed to know, you know, what you're supposed to do and not do. So, you know, she just needed to understand what the rules were because she didn't understand when I got fired. And they, at some point, somebody in management told her that, well, Anne's a lesbian. And that, <laughs> of course, makes it worse. <laughs> my sin of believing that sex exists was um, my crime of believing that there's such a thing as sex was worse because I'm a lesbian. And, and that's an, so that you don't necessarily have to worry about that because, because of that. Well, what happened with her is that she, at some point thereafter, asked for an accommod- a religious accommodation that she not be required to refer to people by their wrong sex pronouns, um, that she would be glad to use whatever name they like. And she'll even use they, but she just didn't want to call out somebody who's a male with a she or vice versa. Um, and she got fired. Uh, and when they fired her, they actually said it was because of her religion was incompatible with the agency. <laughs> so they violated. Yeah. Uh, so they discriminated against her based on her, her religion. And it really, this I mean, is appalling. It's appalling. No, it's absolutely, it's absolutely appalling. So that's so anyway, so she she's a, a very supportive witness. Um, and she's gonna she's much more supportive of lesbians than they are, much more. And then I found out that um there was more going on underneath uh but not behind the scenes, and there had been a concerted effort to fire me for quite a while. Um there was the uh uh there was um an LGBTQ plus plus uh uh, a social grouping that um, later turned into a employee resource source group, which a lot of corporations have these employee resource groups, uh, LGBTQ, and and it seems like I must have been their project uh, because they were listening. They was listening to my uh, videos and you know trying to you know get me. Um, so there's evidence of <clears throat> discussing me uh, months and months earlier. Um, that was that was happening, and then um, they they actually at the end there was a petition. Can you believe this? A petition. <laughs> I, I can believe it. About a dozen people 
signing it, coworkers, that I should be fired. And one of my crimes was my my crime of thinking that lesbian is same sex. And they basically were arguing that and said, and, and I believe it was right in the petition, said that um, it was obscene, basically, for me to say I had same-sex attraction and not appropriate in the workplace. The thinking was that um, if you're saying you aren't interested in trans women, then you obviously have a genital fetish. Um, they didn't quite say that, but it was just, that was the idea. It's phenomenal that they reverse the perversion here as well. We're yeah. we're the ones who are wanting to be, as they call us, genital inspectors. You've seen that on Twitter. <laughs> genital fetishists. Yeah, yeah so genital fetishists, genital inspectors, on top of they're calling us all the lovely names from front holders to menstruators to cervix havers to... I haven't heard ovary carriers yet, but that'll come. <laughs> you know, but it's just the whole movement beggars belief because one thing that I keep thinking about, and I, I've been calling the last decade political strangers on a train, if you recall the Hitchcock film, where I do believe that what is happening, and I say this in all seriousness, that our greatest advocates are people on the right. And uh, not just your Christian former colleague, but a lot of conservatives are not what the parody and or stereotype of a conservative was during the Jesse Helms era. If anything, I liken our allegedly LGBTQ cohorts very similar to Jesse Helms. And it's been like twisting of the entire political landscape where we now have reasonable, mostly Republicans in our corner, in the US that is, and even in the UK, it's Tories, it's certainly not Green Party members, it's certainly not Labour Party members, who are advancing the rights of women because they know that there's no such thing as a, a lesbian with a penis, they know what homophobia looks like, and they are fighting against it. And who would have ever thunk it, as they say, that we would be living in an era where our greatest allies are on the right of the political spectrum. But this is the case. At the same time I say this, I also don't think that they're at all on the right anymore. I think what's happened is that it's gone so crazy, everything. And I include last week's ruling with the Supreme Court, where we're seeing, it, it, it just blows my mind, because I don't know if you've been on social media to see this kind of paradigm where a woman lesbian will say, I'm sorry, I don't date men. Oh, well, you're a racist. It goes just like that. That's what was happening, especially around 2015, 16 on Twitter. And the the use of racism as an accusation became this kind of Trojan horse to actually shield their own racism within. And, and what I'm seeing in the res responses to last week's Supreme Court decision is a bunch of people saying that if you think at all that relativizing uniquely someone's existence to their quote unquote race, and I put it in quotes because Darwin you know, disproved race anyways, but let's just essentialize all humans to that. And I see again, similar to what we're talking about with your case and other women, like, you know, you're the American Maya Forstater at this point with what you're confronting. At the same time, it's the same story in terms of the wokery around who calls who racist, but at the very same time, it tends to be the white right wing that's saying, hey, let's not reduce everyone to skin color. Let's talk about class. I swear to God, the, I've been reading through the Supreme Court decision 
And the right wing is making the case that we are different because of our experiences, not because of our skin color. Wasn't that supposed to be what the left were to do? Isn't fighting for the rights of lesbians what the left was to do? And here we are seeing, and I'm not a fan of how Clarence Thomas got into power. We know that story. But here we are seeing conservative Supreme Court justices on the right making the more liberal and progressive case in terms of also quote unquote race and racial identity and the way we think about ourselves and people in society and you are not the only one and i mean oh how many women how many lesbians do i know who've been called genital fetishists because they don't want to sleep with men I, it's upside down world well i think i have a slightly different view on some of that uh, but um uh, i think the um i mean my woman who came forward for me. She's a wonderful person, a human being. And so, you know, people, um, uh, she's certainly less bigoted than, than they are, though she still thinks it's a sin being a lesbian, but she does, she wouldn't, you know, discriminate against me or fire me because of it. So, I mean, she, and she came to bat for me. So she's obviously a really fine human being. And, you know, people are, you know, there are people like that in, in all walks of life with all ostensible politics. At the same time in, in the United States, we have a, a very uh, right-wing thing happening against women's rights in the, in the area of reproductive rights, which is very, very essential, as I believe. And and the Supreme Court, you know, gutting uh, or actually overturning Roe v. Wade and really horrendous bills passing all over this the country by right-wing legislatures that um, criminalize abortion at the, you know, before you're even pregnant, know you're pregnant kind of time. And, and, and so uh, women who are have horrible health problems, you know, risking their lives. <laughs> they can't even, you know, get care in a timely manner. And and uh, so that's a horrendous thing. And and so I actually think that women have two political enemies, not one, which is I've been saying for, for years. Um, but I think that the right has taken advantage of a complete vacuum on the so-called left, um, which is mostly the Democrats, which I don't believe is the left, but most of the other, the actual left going along with it, um, uh, taking these horrendous stands uh, toward other aspects of women's rights, which are very important, such as women's right to self-organize, women's right to privacy, women's rights to their own spaces, um, all that kind of stuff that was being eroded and, and to, to not be witch hunted, basically, which was what I was. I was a victim of a modern day witch hunt um, and to be able to speak and not be attacked and not be assaulted and not be fired. Uh, so, um, yeah, so I've, I was, uh, I attended a, a recently a, a, um, a protest uh, against um, so-called gender affirming care with a mix of people. But it was Democrats and Republicans and me and me. I'm actually a green. I'm still a green. Um, uh, and actually in a group of, of Greens and former Greens in the United States so, uh, that are gender critical. So I'm, uh, I consider myself part of the far left and, and I'm far more to the left than the people at DRC in every way, shape and form. I'm not to speak of their completely reactionary uh, uh, sexism and homophobia. Um, that, that we're really basically the eliminating women as a sex. That's a fundamental principle of left of, of radical leftism is 
is that women are oppressors of sex. I mean, this is something Engels recognized <laughs> way back, right? It's it's a fundamental thing. And and I, I could never have imagined anybody claiming to be even liberal, not supporting that. They're, they're not radicals. They're, as I said, they're actually very mainstream Democrats, the people who run my agency. Well, it gets back though to class issues, of course, because one of the things that I've explored in many of the shows with various figures from academia to even media is this, is that the people who form these policies and tend to be part of a neoliberal elite, which equates that they will have the cash to go to a private gym. They will have the cash to go to places where their rights for single sex spaces will likely be in vigor. And, and so this whole identitarian movement, the focus on this kind of reverse bigotry where women are now bigoted against these poor men who they're not men, they're women. And I follow Glenn Greenwald, for instance, quite a bit. His work is excellent in so many areas, but he fell over himself trying to, I had no idea that Judith Butler is now they, and he fell over backwards trying to get they right. Why are we entering into this world of what are narcissistic gymnastics? I mean, if it weren't gender and we replaced it with anything else, can you imagine a colleague coming to work and saying, you have to call me and they make up a name. You know, if it weren't gender, everyone in that office space would be looking at each other wondering, is this person mentally well? And I mm -hmm. always use the example of if I go to work and I insist that everyone call me the cupcake queen because my cupcakes are the best. We all know that person who thinks that they do something the best. I once dated a woman who thought she was the best gift giver and she would talk about it all the time. I'm like, okay, I believe you. Uh, I never got a gift from her though. We can all run around and insist that you see me in, as I say I am, and so you have to call me the world's greatest cupcake maker. But if that kind of narcissism enters into a professional space, such as the office, nobody would have truck with that for a second. Yet this movement, and do you remember the L word, first version L word, I'm talking way back, when yes. there was the male lesbian, and remember how that was received? A lot of people were LOLing over it, but all of the new generation L word is completely about trans identified people. It's a huge, God, I don't want to offend you, but the only word that comes to my mind is mindfuck because it's taking all of the labor of your, your generation ahead of me, of your generation that fought for rights so that I, in my generation, we fought a bit more. I was of the AIDS generation. We were fighting a little different thing. Sure, there was lesbophobia, but I was in ACT UP. I was fighting for men to not get kicked out of their flats in Chelsea. And all of those struggles mean nothing because who knew, Anne? Back in the 60s, 70s, 90s, all we had to do is say sex doesn't exist. Problem solved. <laughs> but I, I think that, that it's very dangerous. Um, and that's why I am actually a believer in affirmative action for black people, too. I think it's very dangerous to say uh, a sex doesn't exist or race doesn't exist when there's racism and sexism, because in order to measure it and remedy it, um, you have to recognize it exists. I would say, though, that race, though, however, was disproved. I mean, we, humans don't have a race. We have ethnicities, sure. And if you read Zora Neale Hurston and any other of the great writers of the past 200 years from the United States, the idea of race is even itself a problem within any community itself. Because as Glenn Greenwald points out, 
Who is getting the positions to advance the notion that racism must be combated? He views this, and I really love his analysis because it's pretty spot on. He views this as a way of, in fact, denigrating people of color and, say, and basically saying you will never get into universities when, in fact, the numbers of people applying for Harvard are extremely in the 70, 70% of African-Americans applying to Harvard do not come from poor classes. They come from wealthy classes. And he makes the example of Malia Obama and saying her experiences compared to other black people in America, it's absurd to say that she has a lot in common with other black Americans as opposed to other people of that same zip code. I think there's a lot to in common between this kind of essentialism of gender and the essentialism of race as D'Angelo brought to the fore. I mean, it's no coincidence that a white woman brought white confession to the academic scene where people are having to cleanse themselves in this very purity political way in the open where she's getting paid six figures to give a talk to American Airlines so that those folks will feel like they are doing the right thing. Meanwhile, Anne, the real issue about who is getting into university or who are getting those jobs it's going to be the same people from the same class. Glenn Greenwald gives a completely Marxist analysis of the decision last week in terms of there, this is doing nothing about poverty. This is doing nothing about the lower yeah. classes coming into the managerial elite being able to, why do you think the managerial elite are all on board with D'Angelo and the female penis? It's because of the fact that they all from the same zip code, they all have the same schooling, they all have the same at stake. They all want to, get promoted in what Adolf Reed calls the neoliberal managerial professional class. And I think that's the crux of what's happening with the decision from last week in terms of race. I think what I'm seeing here, and I see it all the time, people discussing people of color or black Americans, or even the attempt now to make black capital B, but wait a sec, that's not changing the face of who's getting into any good jobs, any good institutions. The real issue in the United States, and I can say this in the EU as well, is people are barely surviving. Yeah, I agree. I, I work, on, actually, I'm a, a homeless advocate, so I know so much. I, I I'm very much agree with the class, though I do have a different take on the on the race issue. I do think that the, 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 the politics of the corporate corporate America, where they they talk about diversity, is is just window dressing and tokenism, and um, not not really about liberation of the masses of people of color or the masses of anybody. Uh, it's really a way of of kind of um, virtue signaling and, and making them look good when there's no substance to it. So I, I think it, it's all about. So I agree with that part, but I have a different take on affirmative action, which I'm a big supporter of. Um, so I have a, a different take on that, but but I, I do think that um, this kind of divide and rule, our, our agency is mostly women, by the way. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's mostly women. The people who are trans are females. <laughs> um, and, uh, it's really kind of shocking the extent to which women, so many women were, you know, were, including, you know, working class women and, and we're not necessarily that privileged people who work in our agency don't necessarily make that much money and and um uh you know especially given the cost of living uh, is pretty high in california um they can't afford houses or anything like that the younger the younger lawyers can't you know they barely afford rent and paying their student loans so exactly and, and their support staff even even worse so uh, i've had support staff that have been homeless um 
You should watch Greenwald's show from June 29. He discusses this. There is a trap. I mean, I was in academia for many decades. And the fact is that all of this kind of goose-stepping into ideological parody isn't coincidental. It's happened on every way. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, so it could be a coincidence, but the fact that a lot of this happened during lockdown, where you had that wacko doctor who really, I mean, he's a real doctor, but he was doling out anti-scientific advice to people, telling them to stay home for all these other protests against masking or mandates, etc. but go out and do the BLM protests. And it's, it's curious to me because it all worked against a kind of independent thinking. I mean, and you would not be in this position if we were in a society where people thought for themselves, because I, I referred to absolutely. the first L word seasons that I referred to the first set of shows of the L word that actually got a lot of looks from Americans. I mean, it was, uh, I had a friend who's completely heterosexual who turned me onto the show because I had been living in Europe. We watched it together and she's like, isn't that a riot, the female penis? And we were like laughing because we thought this is just science fiction. And then 20 years later, not even 17 years later, this is all flying in the air as appropriate. And, right. and I do think there's something to be said for the fact that the managerial class is primarily made up of women. Okay, especially in the NGO sector. And it's interesting this, because when I had Leo Sapir on the show, he talked about how this movement, not the trans movement of the late 20th century, but the 21st century transgender movement that has been rebranded, refashioned, has been primarily executed by women. And this goes back to class, Anne, because you point out, I mean, I remember teaching at NYU in the 90s, and my students were barely able to survive having graduated. They were getting jobs as baristas from about 1996 onward. Jobs were very hard to get, no matter what the job. So they're having to pay back huge student loans. Of course, if your employer says female penis, you're going to be like female penis. And this is part of the ideological training that makes me very suspicious about all of it now, because you are working in a sector you work with homelessness you work with people who are disabled yeah. i mean you're dealing with real things again back to angles it's a book i tell our listeners to read all the time the origin of family private property in the state it's one of the best books on women's rights in my opinion from a 19th century perspective and a marxian perspective you're dealing with tangible realities. You're not dealing with people who identify as disabled. I imagine your boss wouldn't have accepted someone who identifies as disabled, but who's running a decathlon, or the fact that someone is really poor and really homeless. These are tangible realities. Yes, right. your agency hooked into this notion of fantasy land when it came to gender. When did you see that happening from that first response back when there was a complaint against you many years ago to now? It, it started um, soon after. <laughs> I mean, it definitely by by 2017, uh, they were they were teaching uh, the 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 uh, new the new uh, language and the new um, definitions and uh, complete in a, a gender identity ideology. They were teaching as as diversity. And before that, diversity training was respecting other people's cultures, uh, you know, what sexual harassment and what that is, you know, the, you know, really, I didn't have any issues with any of it. And then it became ideological training. And that's what it was, is like really this intense ideological training. They were, we were told things uh, more recently, we couldn't use he or she in letters. I mean, 
really kind of this Orwellian control thing. But, um, uh, and apparently it was uh, very bad, not only to say he or she, but to say, um, to say, you know, any kind of reference to sex, that, that was a bad thing to re reference that sex exists. And I kept asking questions and that's basically it. But I think this movement, this reactionary pseudo movement grew, fake movement grew um, um, in this in this kind of environment where, you know, it basically leached off the legitimacy of the lesbian and gay struggle and then twisted it and is actually denying gay rights. I mean, it's just unbelievable that <laughs> I fought for gay rights up in the, in the late 70s and I support for marriage equality more recently and that now they could twist it to actually fire me in part because I'm a lesbian. I mean, that's pretty shocking that they could twist it to that extent that my, my very uh, being a lesbian and saying that I'm, I'm just interested in partnering with women is considered obscene, which is what 100 years ago they talked about lesbians that way, right? You're listening to Savage Minds, and we hope you're enjoying the show. Please consider subscribing. We don't accept any money from corporate or commercial sponsors, and we depend upon listeners and readers just like you. Now, back to our show. It's a twist on, and you just haven't met the right man. And did you have a problem with men? Maybe someone in your past? I mean, this is just the most regressive shit I've heard in my life because we've heard it. You heard much more of it than me. I got a bit of it. Um, not maybe you haven't met the right man. I've been told that in a lesbian bar. But the fact is that, that this has been rendered ideological is frightening because we have, like Diva Magazine in the UK, where I spent many years, when I first started writing about this in 2013, I approached them to write another piece. They wouldn't. Why wouldn't they? Well, they had already been running pieces on the female penis. They had already been subtly telling their readers to sleep with men. Now think about it. This is the UK's most important lesbian magazine of recent years, and they are telling women to sleep with men. You know, when people sit and think about that just for a second, it's daunting. I, you, you begins to make People magazine, or I guess their version would be Hello magazine, look like intellectual journalistic inquiry. This is nuts, but that's what the gay community has been getting. Men have gotten it to a lesser degree, although there was a spa in East London about four years ago where a trans identified female claiming she was a man tried to get in and they, she was out the door in a second and it didn't even make the news. Why didn't it make the news? Because women are not newsworthy. I mean, it's, that's the irony of this whole movement is that we're only seeing women when it's a man giving birth. How ironical. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. It's, it's really ironic. Yeah. Yeah. The, the uh, yeah. Women, I mean, they're still treated as women basically. Uh, absolutely. It's got the same pageantry. And these men, it's the same thing. We see it, right? I, I try to tell Europeans about when men cook in North America, and you and I don't want to generalize you good men who are out there doing most of the cooking, they do exist. But I talked about, you know, growing up in the 70s, when you'd see the man at the turkey on Christmas Day and Thanksgiving, okay, that was it. 
And that was everyone had to stand around to watch him cook, carve because he hadn't actually cooked it. He might have gone and basted it once or twice. But the irony is the parade of manhood took over even within the trans movement because what are we seeing? These men everywhere on covers of magazines all because they're a man with lipstick, a man in a white dress, a man in stilettos, like. The dynamic, I, yeah, I had an experience of being, because uh, I've been in socialist organizations for decades, um, and I was in a socialist conference, um, it was a few years ago, and I was basically pushed out of that group, ultimately, because um, I of my position as a feminist. But uh, they had a women's caucus meeting at a conference I attended, there was one, trans-identified male and everyone else was female. We spent half the meeting going around talking pronouns. Half the meeting. Basically, this man hijacked the entire agenda of the Women's Caucus. You think about that. That's 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 uh, shocking, but but that's an old pattern. So there's, he was still dominating the meeting like, you know, in the olden days, right? It's the same idea. And so everyone knows who the man is and everyone defers. And that, and that's that's you know the the reality. And then if you can't see sex again, sexism without being able to see it uh, and name it means it continues. And and so in our agency, which was mostly women, still the men who worked there tend to, tended to advance quicker and be disproportionately at the top. Um, so there's still a lot of women at the top. There's opportunities in nonprofits for women that don't exist in the corporate world. Uh, but when you think that it's like 95% women and then you see the few men getting on top, you know that there, there's there's something going on, right? Um, sexism right. Is, but you can't even talk about it because it was no, being removed as a protected class in DRC. So sex was not a protected class anymore and sexual orientation is not. And that, that was what I was saying. I'm asking, is this happening? Is this happening? And it was actually happening more than I even imagined. And when all this hit, we used to have a woman's executive director and then we got recently got a man. And and I think, we, you know, I can't imagine her having gone along with this somehow. I, I mean, I don't know, but I just can't imagine her um, doing this <laughs> to me uh, uh, based on what I did, which is that's all they have on me. They have nothing on me. There was not even an issue of quote unquote, misgendering pronouns. I didn't have any reason to refer to any trans-identified coworker in any kind of pronouns because I wasn't talking about them. And we were all working remotely and our, our communication was, you know, over, overwhelmingly by email. So it didn't even come up. They have nothing on me <laughs> uh, except saying that, you know, <laughs> lesbians exist and we're same-sex attracted and, 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 you know, that's and, and this statement about abortion there's nothing. There's nothing on me. And and uh, it's just that they, uh, but a pylon, an incredible pylon. I cannot believe these people would be spending this time doing this when we're, you know, working to, to help people with disabilities and advance their rights and all this. And this is what they do. And there's, I don't even know if it's spare time. It might've been work time <laughs> uh, that they were doing this organizing uh, to get me fired. Um, and it really is a modern day witch hunt. In the discovery, you say that you're now discovering all this other information. How long has the witch hunt been going on for you? Well, I think it's been, it was probably going on for at least a year or two. And it probably started, you know, at least by, uh, by um, 2019. 
um, I think that it was it was already they were trying to get me out, um, and that grew. Um, but um, I had an experience where um, I have a, I had a friend I thought who was a friend uh, who I had had been my law clerk when she was a student, and she came back to work for DRC, and I actually helped get her hired. Uh, and I was supervising her, and then she had a conversation with me about how she was being iced out of the social group she wanted to be in, which was an LGBTQ social group, uh, because of her relationship with me. And then a few weeks later, she asked that I be removed from supervisor without an explanation to me and refusal to talk to me about it. So um, I think that was connected to whatever, I mean, The fact that if she had any of the concerns, she, she would probably have raised them before and be, at least be willing to talk to me about it. And um, and the timing of that and, and that I knew all this was going on. Now I know how much was going on behind the scenes. I think I think there was an attempt to she wanted to fit in and she wasn't going to be able to fit in. So there was this I was feeling I was feeling having a feeling even remotely that something was going on because I felt iced out in some fashion. I had this, and then, now I realize that they actually were organizing. So I think it was a couple of years, uh, you know, at least a year um, from what I'm seeing already. But but I think as of that, my horrible crime in 2019 of saying I was same-sex attracted, that obscene say, staying I made, the statement I made, um, uh, they wanted me out. And um yeah, and I was just going to say about the race thing. They they did they had these employee resource groups and and they had a, a black resource group that condemned me. It come out somehow tied my believing there's such a thing as sex to racism, which was absurd. Well, that's the trick that I was referring to earlier that you'll see being employed all the time, and it's a very racist maneuver that this lobby has taken under its wing. And this is how it functions, because I've done a lot of investigative reporting on what GLAD and the HRC has done in the US, and they have people in Hollywood to advise on scripts and casting. And it's all pointed around the idea that every show should have a transgender narrative, which is why if you watch TV, every show at some point or another has a regular or semi-regular transgender person. It was on Grey's Anatomy two seasons ago when people got bored to death because the actor was terrible. The plot line on that person was awful. There was nothing interesting about it. And as I always say, my sexuality is the least interesting thing about myself. I mean, if you're going to make a movie about me, no one's going to care that I'm gay or not. It's going to be the rest of my life. And that's what GLAD, HRC, and other formerly LGBT organizations have turned into. What they've done successfully is they've used the likes of, let's say, Fallon Fox in the sports world. They've used Laverne Cox. They've used various other black gay men who claim to be women. And if you say, but he's a man, you're a racist. And now, obviously, that's incoherent logically. It makes no sense. But they get away with it. Why? because Americans are not the best versed in Logic 101. This stuff doesn't even fly that well in the UK, but it definitely flies better on social media with Americans. I've seen it all the time. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, 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 it's it's completely crazy. Yeah, that's, they're also rewriting uh, history. Um, They're defining gay men as trans uh, or drag queens as trans from from the 
time of Stonewall, where that was not really the case. Uh, and they white and they're ignoring the history, lesbian history, and lesbian like the lesbian who started um, Stonewall, kicked off Stonewall, uh, so, and and the gay lesbian is a gay man who actually organized Pride, um, and that's who they were. And and uh, the drag queens were were gay, but in addition, the it wasn't necessarily the drag queens that were leading the organizing. Uh, but no one listens to the real history. They just rewrite everything as trans and uh, queer. And I remember being introduced by a gay man as queer. And I like cringe, like, no, that's not what I am. <laughs> I identify as queer. I'm not odd. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, imposing that that on me and on lesbians and just, you know, it's been really horrible in the U.S. I mean, we've lost our entire community we can't meet in the lgbt center uh there's no you're not allowed to have a lesbian only group that they're, they're you know men will show up who identify as women uh and we can't say no to that uh, we don't have separate bathrooms now everything's gender neutral <laughs> bathrooms open any man at all um so yeah, so we have a place. So we don't have no place to go. All the culture and everything, the Michigan Festival is gone. Most of it's gone. Um, so it's really tough on young women. It's really, really tough. You are now facing the same battle that Maya Forsiters faced and just was remunerated properly for. Had she been in the States, there would have been an extra zero, by the way. Her payout is very little in American terms for what she went through. So I hope you cash in big when you win. And uh, no, because I'm just, I, I've always said this, the only way that the crazy ship's gonna turn around is when companies and government agencies are paying out so much that they will have to think twice about it. And the payouts in the US for all these sorts of disasters come usually in the seven figure range. Now, what will you be arguing on, legally speaking? What is your best shield here against what you went through? Is it going to be a First Amendment case? Well, it's not First Amendment because it's not government. So the First Amendment doesn't apply. It, it, we're government-funded, nonprofit, but it's not the same as the government. However, um, there is a pretty strong uh, lesbian discrimination claim and a woman's discrimination based on sex. So I think, and retaliation. So those are really strong. Um, and there's also the possibility of, some additional um, arguments related to California labor law, which does protect employees from uh, who are not that employers do not have the right to impose their politics on their employees. Employees are supposed to be free to do whatever they want outside of work. And so there is a labor protection in California law uh, as well. So um, they had no justification for doing what they did. And um, I think any fair jury would just think it's absurd. And the other thing that kind of shocking to me is, is I know they had a huge amount of pressure from this little pile on and this petition and all this business, but they also know me for 20 years and they know I'm a fighter, right? And that if there was any way in the world for me to fight back, I would. And so um, the, the arrogance and I mean, it's just, I can't believe they were arrogant enough to think that they could just do this and it would be fine. <laughs> I mean, they, they actually had denied my unemployment um, claiming for misconduct, claiming that I engaged in misconduct. Uh, and unfortunately, that meant I had to wait six months because they're all behind in uh, employment hearings <laughs> and six months with no money. Uh, 
fortunately I had a little savings, but for other people it could have meant homelessness. Um, uh, so, and then I had my hearing, they didn't show up. I'd already filed suit. So, you know, it's not surprising they didn't show up. Um, but I, it's, everything's documented. This is all emails. And so I gave the emails to the hearing officer who was, you know, representing the state of California, which is pretty much bought into trans ideology, this extreme ideology, pretty much whole hog. However, he looks at this and he says, now, did you, did you ever, you know, use the wrong pronoun? I said, it didn't even come up. I didn't even have an opportunity to refer to anybody by the third person. We were remote. It was all on email. He looks at the email. He says, I don't see any problem. <laughs> and I won my unemployment. So um, since this is all, you know, it's all email communication, really. There's nothing else. Uh, very, there really is almost nothing else. And there's nothing related to this issue at all. So, and he, and he was, you know, pro, if, if he, if I, if I had been used, uh, called somebody who said they were a he and I used she, uh, on purpose or repeatedly, I, I probably, he probably would have denied my unemployment, but he looked at this, this doc, the document with all the emails printed out. And it was like, I don't see any problem. <laughs> There's no misconduct here. This begs the question. I mean, I would not be using in any way these, I, I can't even call them preferred pronouns. I call them fantasy pronouns because yeah. I find it puts me, I feel pornographied when in confronting women, I am not your mirror. This is what I tell these folks. I don't know you well enough, you see. And if I were your friend, I would tell you no as a friend, but I don't know you as a friend. You're a complete stranger to me. But it's all about ideological control, this whole movement, whether it's a dating app, whether it's your employer, whether it's your bank right. saying that you wrote something right. or said something on Twitter, just as now is happening in the UK. It's not the first time, but people are losing bank accounts. They're being scolded by entities that have nothing to do with their private lives. Would this judge be acting against the First Amendment if you had called a woman she? I mean, where is it written that you have to use preferred pronouns at all, given that our constitution guarantees, yeah. even within the professional setting, even though your employer might have state funding, that's neither here nor there. You are a person with two eyeballs that function. You have ears. I can tell when I'm talking to a man on the phone. It's very easy. I know. Well, I, I mean, I'm, I, I am opposed to the whole ideology and I, uh, and I would avoid, I mean, it, it never came up. Luckily, uh, if it did, I probably would be like the Christian woman and just avoid pronouns. <laughs> I would, I would just, you know, call them by name and, and so I wouldn't get fired. Uh, but it didn't even come up because I had no need to refer to any of these folks by the third person. <laughs> so, um, but the whole thing is, yeah, it's really controlling and, you know, saying we couldn't even write he or she in a letter um uh you know i guess the word brothers and sisters is not okay i mean uh, the people have no idea a lot of people because i'm doing some work uh working with other with feminists who don't understand these issues on abortion rights and uh, locally in san diego and they don't understand these issues um and they think they can that they they will you know start chanting trans rights in the middle of our women's rights gathering um, but they don't even know what that is. And they don't even know when they are talking about women and women's rights, which they do as a, a, a woman's right to abortion, which they are doing. 
these women and now and there's other activists, young activists are talking about women's rights. They don't realize that that's not okay. They don't realize how far this has gone. Um, that you can't, you're not even that that's considered transphobic to talk about women's rights and and to as uh, rights as a sex, and yet they're talking about it. So they don't even understand. They're kind of waving the flag, but not even knowing what it really means and that they're being, what they're doing is actually considered bad uh, under this ideology. They have no idea. So it's it's kind of, uh, it's ironic. I mean, there's a lot of um, like Planned Parenthood and places like that uh, that don't, will not use, the, just like DRC, they won't use women, you know, pregnant people and this and that. But these young women who are feminists are using women when they talk about it. Um, but they don't seem to understand that uh, when they are yelling also for trans rights, that that is inconsistent. They don't know that they don't understand. You were on the left, but a lot of people, including the people that had a hand in your firing, consider themselves progressive on the left, whether or not they are. Hmm. Why do you think that they being, again, of a, a similar class, similar education, maybe different backgrounds, maybe some of them came from different backgrounds than you, but still, when you're a lawyer, you're a lawyer and you've got a certain type of education. What was in it for them to get rid of you? Do you think the core of what you went through was homophobia at the end of the day? Or is it something linked to homophobia in terms of keeping one's job means embracing this homophobia and just saying men are women and shutting up about it? Because you know that none of those people really think men are women and women are men. Right, I know. Um, I think uh, it's a dynamic of any witch hunt, I think, <clears throat> where people pile on and it's it's uh, protective of themselves, for one, because um, if, uh, if you don't condemn the witch, you're probably a witch yourself. <laughs> uh, so I think there's that aspect. I think there's definitely very deep homophobia that never went away and is now having an excuse to come out as a politically correct homophobia. Um, so I think there's that, um, I mean, just a lot of internalized sexism by women that, that, um, you know, the lack of feminist feminism, the lack of critical thinking, uh, an easy way to, to give, to make themselves supposedly look good. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, you know, the dynamic of bullying, it's kind of junior high schoolish at the same time. Um, kind of clicky and it's it's really it's incredibly regressive for a, a civil people working for civil rights i mean first you know firing people for sexual orientation and sex and religion is pretty regressive <laughs> it's pretty extremely regressive and reactionary they they they're all the people who run the agency they're very much democratic party 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 oriented they've always been kind of like that um i was the radical I was always the radical at work. I always pushed the ant. I always fought to do innovative cases. I was the one who started uh, the homelessness to fight on issues of homelessness um, and pushed the rest of the agency to do it. Uh, and that was not easy. Um, so I was always the one who was <laughs> leading protests against budget cuts and, and in the disability community. Um, and fighting for affordable housing. I was, um, you know, I, everybody knew I was the radical. I was the, the person who argued really hard for everything. And and I it didn't, um, 
it was sometimes a problem and nothing like this, of course. Um, I mean, I got good reviews generally and all that, but, but I did have, you know, run into loggerheads because I was tenacious and I fought for what I believed in and, and fought to do cases that they didn't thought didn't want to do and was pretty um, kind of micromanaging style, which is, I think, common where women are working. Other women prevent women from developing and taking initiative. There's that kind of internalized sexism that happens. Um, so, but yeah, but they, I was the radical and I am the, I'm way more politically to the left of anybody. I don't think anyone who worked there, um, I'm way to the left. <laughs> so, uh, I was happy. And, and so, and I, and there were a couple of women, uh, older women who were open lesbians. Um, but, um, they you know didn't share my politics and went along with this stuff uh completely they weren't they didn't sign on though which was interesting i don't know if that they weren't on that little list of 12 that signed on that statement um to try to get me fired but um i'm sure they were all in on it um and they, but they're mostly straight people this is this is like they were mostly straight people who signed that list that that just kills me that's like <laughs> I, I think that here I'm the lesbian. I'm being fired, really, for thinking women sex exists and for being a lesbian. There's these straight people thinking they're being righteous by going after me. It's just, it's just the irony of it is just it's really it's beyond belief. But it has the same mentality of any witch hunt, like the witch trials at Salem or the McCarthy era. Um, all of that is a uh, it's the same mentality that goes on where people go along. They, they're silent uh, because they're scared legitimately. They need their job. Uh, they actively go along uh, because they don't want to be accused of being a witch. So they're going to go after the witch. Um, it's the same mentality. And and the bullying, high school, you know, junior high school bullying, it's a similar psychology. And this incredibly reactionary ideology that's taken hold of uh, it's not uh, it basically took hold of the Democratic Party or the Democratic Party promotes it, which is completely neoliberal. It's never been progressive, really. It's never really been progressive in the United States. We don't have a mass left party, never have. Um, and that's the Democratic Party has had an influence on the small radical, you know, socialist left. Uh, and they tend to follow and not think for themselves, which is kind of stupid but that's basically what happened but as i said i'm still green and i'm with a, a group called green alliance for sex-based rights uh, which i co-founded um that is uh, greens and former greens who are gender critical of both sexes that's a little, a little tiny group um i mean and fist is a national radical feminist group small as well um and that's um you know the, the state of the, the the actual left we are part of the left <laughs> Uh, the real left uh, is very tiny and very and very messed up most of it and um so it, it's it's a real struggle i mean it's basically having to rebuild movements from scratch practically that's really what we're talking about uh, we're losing everything yeah and it's even worse than having to build from scratch because you're having to build from scratch while also teaching people what words actually mean this is the crazy part of it oh, well. all is we're behind much more than we realize it because 
now when you talk with people, a lot of times people, like they say, I can't read that article because it makes no sense. Like the antecedent to the pronouns lost. It's hard when people refuse to go by, let's just call them normal pronouns. And if I have to read an article about a they, I won't read it. I'm sorry, it is not worth it. You can't get away from it. You go to the doctor and they ask your gender identity and I have to cross it out and say none. Uh, I, you know, I'm a female, but I don't have a gender identity. Uh, um, I have to, uh, what were you assigned at birth? It wasn't assigned. <laughs> you know, I, I, doctor's offices, like medical, perfectly nice, like physical therapy I'm doing, you know, perfectly uh, legitimate, nice places that that place is actually, but I had this form to fill out. I had to like rewrite over it because I'm not going to go along with BS like that. I mean, I don't, have a gender identity, and I wasn't assigned anything. Uh, <laughs> I was just observed, right? And so, I mean, it's just, uh, th that's really scary when doctors are going along with this um, because you know, being a female affects your medical care, huh? what your needs are and what kind of care you need, and, and you're not exactly the same. And, and, and mostly women have been ignored anyway throughout you know, by the medical profession, our specific needs, our reaction to medications, we're not studied and all this. And now we're not even, can't even be recognized. We can't even be named, which uh, that's, that's really, really frightening. Um, and then, you know, all the privacy issues of wanting, you know, like a female doctor or a female caretaker or um, not wanting to shower with someone with a penis or, you know, any of these, these things are, God forbid, end up in a prison and having to share to your cell, a cell with a rapist, uh, I mean, convicted rapist. I mean, this is this is like a nightmare and, and nobody cares uh, and no one can even talk about it. Um, and it's- and Well, I was a bit uh, shocked when people started to care more about the inequality and unfairness of sports over rapists in women's prisons, but whatever, I'll take the scraps then. If that's what got you over the hurdles, then so be it. But isn't it shocking that so many people were more upset about the unfairness of having a six foot tall bloke racing against a five foot two woman than having a rapist in a woman's cell? That's just insane. Yeah. Or the fact yeah. that you've even had to say a person with a penis like what happened to words like man and woman you know we can't well, say well, that anymore because now you have to qualify by man i mean i'm saying that on purpose just to make yeah, it no, no 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 i know that's the craziness of it is that we all have to say it because if you're talking to anyone within the managerial elite and you say i don't want a man well there's no man in your cell that's a woman you know, see and it's so orwellian that you're dealing with this kind of mentality that's trying to enforce a certain narrative by fiat, but at the same time, you know quite well that person knows that the person standing in front of them is a man. They know it. No, it's horrible. And, and it's not surprising, though, that, that there's less concern about uh, uh, convicted rapists and you know, men in women's prisons, most of whom do have violent backgrounds. Um, uh, there's less concern about that because those women are are the dregs of the earth. Those are the women of color, indigenous women, African-American women, poor women uh, who end up in the criminal justice system and nobody cares about them. And that's, yeah, I mean, talk about racist. I mean, who, who's the victims? Who are disproportionately the victims? And that's, you know, and they don't care about them. So it's, uh, yeah, that's that's the, one of the worst things. I, 
uh, that's that because they can't escape. They can't like run out of the restroom or, <laughs> or, or whatever, you know, or just decide not to go, you know, and stay home or whatever. They can't do that. There there's, I mean, that to me sounds like a complete nightmare. I can't imagine how that would feel to, to have someone have to share uh, intimate spaces with a, a strange man that you don't choose to be with. Uh, and then on top of it, good likelihood they've been convicted of rape or murdering women and children. <laughs> I mean, that's like, if talk about cruel and unusual punishment, boy, that's, that's really up there. The same class of people pushing gender ideology tend to be the very same people pushing the surrogacy class. So on Monday, they don't know what a woman is, but Tuesday when their BFF friends, gay men, need a baby, they know what a woman is. It's paradoxical, but it reveals its own lie at the core. Women, basically it's, it's a, a capitalist level of understanding this is a commodification of the human body, particularly the female body being the resource. Was, that's what patriarchy has always been, is control of the access to and control over the, uh, the work, reproductive work of women work and reproductive work of women. And, and that's really kind of what's being commodified now. In, in a, it's always been commodified to some degree. Yes, prostitution, you know, women is commodity, but now now our, our wombs and um, and the, the, the commodification of the human body, the idea that you can be whatever you want to be, you know, um, that uh, you can choose your sex, you can, you know, whatever the, this making lots of money on commodifying the, the human body. And that's, that's kind of where the, the capitalism has gone. I mean, it's not making anything hardly in the United States. <laughs> we don't produce a whole lot, some more, you know, those weapons and, and sex change, you know, basically that's what, what do we do? What do we produce? That's, um, that's where capitalism going, and that's why socialists, actual socialists, should get that. Should understand not only because they read, they should have read Engels, right? It's a you know pretty important piece of uh, socialist thinking, Engels. But also they that um, they should be questioning you know the um, pharmaceutical industry, the, the the greed of the whole society, you know the how the society is organized to make money off commodifying the human body and, and, and putting women down. That's the old thing, putting women down, keeping women down um, in the various ways it's being done. And if you eliminate, you can't talk about women as existing, you're, you're not even going to notice if women, you're not going to be able to, women are down. You're not going to be able to compare how much women make and pay versus men because some of the men will be counted as women and it'll be useless statistics. So it's, it's really an insidious ideology that, um, and very much capitalist and patriarchal in its core and homophobic, of course. The battle that we're fighting in North America specifically is so ideologically thick, especially in a state like California, where you have Gavin Newsom, who on the one hand has enabled all this, while on the other hand has also brought forth surrogacy just recently. It seems just so hypocritical that the same person can pretend that we don't know what sex is, but we do when it comes time to our needs. And a lot of people have talked about this in terms of eugenics. Why do you see so little attention coming from people who, like your colleagues, consider themselves progressive? Is it that the gender lobby is so capturing of every NGO in North America, 
plus the fact that people want to feel like they're progressive because a lot of what happens in our work is our work forms part of our identity and we over identify often with our work because we spend so many hours at the office or working. Uh, why do you think it is that the people who ought to be seeing this for what it is a sham are in fact advancing this lie. Uh. I think, first of all, it's leached off uh, uh, in a parasitic fashion, the legitimacy of decades of lesbian and gay struggle. Uh, so it's, you know, that merging of the TQ, whatever's left on the alphabet, to that lesbian and gay struggle um, gives it legitimacy. And uh, I don't, I mean, it's amazing how much it's been captured, but I think the training, the people who do the training, the diversity training are the same people. There, there must be, there must be moneyed connections, I think, uh, in some fashion, even though our agency is, DRC is a nonprofit and we're government funded, almost, almost exclusively government funded, get a little bit of money from fees, a little bit of donations, but not enough to sway our politics. Uh, uh, I think it's, yes, the capturing of these nonprofits. I don't know how that happened, but I think so. If one part, one group gets captured, and then and then they have influence in training the other group, and it is all a corporate agenda. I mean, it's absolutely, totally a Democratic Party and corporate agenda. Um, and so the people who run our agency, including our executive director used to work in Washington, so he's very much connected with the Democratic Party, probably more than before. Um, but this was happening before he even took over. Not as bad, of course, but um, yeah, I, it's that's a big question. I don't know how they did it this quickly. <laughs> I mean, I, I know I, I've read Jennifer Bellock. I've listened to her. I, I, I think she's got a point, but I still don't understand exactly how you could teach people that two and two is five and have everybody say two and two is five. But America is bad when it comes to critical thinking. It's always been really bad. But on the other hand, in the seventies, in the sixties and seventies, there was a fair amount of critical thinking. When you think about it, there was. Um, the radical movements um, was still, there was a tendency to authoritarianism. There was still a tendency to not question, you know, different groups uh, for sure. But, you know, as a whole, there was a lot of questioning and, and, and a lot of thinking. And sometimes you thought things that ended up changing your mind later because it was off the wall. But you, you had a discussion. You had debate. You had debate. And now it's like debate is going to trigger you, you know, uh, and that's really bad. It's really, really bad that you're teaching young people that they can't have a discussion because they're just going to wither if they hear something that upsets them. They're just going to wither and die rather than billing people who are resilient and who can engage in ideas because that's so important. Whether you agree or disagree, you're not going to, I mean, I, <laughs> our, our instinct in the seventies was to debate. We debated Briggs and the Briggs initiative. <laughs> we, I helped set up that debate with Harvey Milk versus and Sally Gerhardt versus Briggs and somebody else. We helped set up that debate. We wanted the debate in order to defeat that anti-gay initiative. So, uh, in, 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 on campus, uh, we set up debates on abortion and debates on, on the war in Vietnam because we, we knew if we could win those debates and those would help our thinking and make our thinking clearer because when you have a debate even with somebody who's like completely off the wall, 
you you hone your own opinion. You you kind of refine it and and how you explain and all that. So it was always really good for the people doing it, and it was good, and it helped build the movement. So now it's like debate is like, oh my god, we can't listen to anybody because we're going to just collapse. <laughs> it's really dangerous. So it's a, the authoritarianism is that's that's always been there. Um, is, has gone haywire again. We ran a piece by Bino Katmark about what happened in Australia with the scandal over Mackenzie and its hold over Australian social health policies. And there's a recent report now that's just come out of France, same company, McKenzie. And what we're seeing when you start to scratch the surface on the way that governments are run today is that there's a lot of money exchanging hands within the private sector, such as companies like McKenzie, and the rise of the corporate state. And mm -hmm. I do believe that this has a lot to do with the way the gender ideology has been thrust upon Western societies primarily. This would not be happening in a lot of non-Western countries. And that's not because they're quote unquote third world or quote unquote backwards. There's something else there as well. Um, but there, there are more protections against this, kind, against this kind of cronyism simply because they're already battling other forms of cronyism as it were. But the revelations that come out of this paper that was just published in France, what's called McKinsey Gate, shows that the French government has given lucrative contracts granted to consultancy firms, not just McKinsey, but Accenture, Bain & Company, Boston Consulting Group, Roland Berger, Wavestone, the French Senate Commission has also released findings on all of this, and it's, it's quite damning what came out of the inquiry that shows not only that these companies were allowed to not pay corporate taxes for 10 years, but the kind of hold over the private public revolving door that we've seen. We've seen it with Monsanto. We've seen it over the coronavirus, quote unquote, vaccines and who's who got to have a say in what and or even the fact that Fauci that we have very good evidence to see that he funded the very creation of the coronavirus. Uh, there's talk about, you know, all this talk of Geneva Convention these years over the trans issue. Let's talk about the Geneva Convention over what I was put through being locked up for two and a half years of my life. Um, the, the reality is that the corporate sector is now becoming more and more the shadow government of many Western democracies. And I think this has a lot to do with why you were shown the door and that the people who showed you the door have no bloody clue as to why they did that because it's also Blade Runner in a sense, if you catch my drift. No one knows who the replicant is. Yes, I mean, basically we're funded by the federal government. Federal government uh, under Democrats certainly are all in on this stuff. Uh, we have this um, uh, person in the, um, I don't know if he's a senator, I think he's a senator in California, Wiener, I don't even know how to say his name, <laughs> but uh, one bad bill after another, uh, uh, trying to uh, promote um, child transition um, and punish parents who don't wanna go along with it. Um, so one bad bill after another, 
so there's there's a, obviously a lot of corporate power and money behind all all this, uh, and it goes into directly or indirectly, and then it creates an environment where you know I'm doing homeless work and I'm not doing I'm still doing that, um, and I'm starting my own private practice now, but I'm I'm doing homeless advocacy both politically and legally. And yet the issue of my politics, because now I'm open, I have nothing to hide now. So now I'm social media myself <laughs> and I just say what I want to say um, that I was being attacked just recently as a fascist and a right winger because uh, I was opposing gender affirming care on Twitter by my fellow homeless activists. But now it seems to have died down because, I mean, I'm, I'm like one of the central people. I'm one of the central lawyers who is doing cases on this issue and it seems to have died down and I seem to be OK. But there was a it happened too with doing it on the abortion rights stuff that um, people wanted to see my speech ahead of time, make sure, you know, and I was just talking about abortion. I wasn't talking about trans issues, uh, but assuming abortion as a woman's right, um, which they all are anyway. But they wanted to check it. There was, you know, there was stuff that was going on that, um, but then there was a backing off from it. And so I'm still working with this small group of, of liberal feminists in San Diego. Um, uh, but yeah, there's it's that's the other thing is, is this is incredibly disruptive of movements. It's like being a commie, you know, get all rid of all the communists. Right. And you just take the heart out of the movement and they want to get rid of radical feminist socialists like me. Um, and and uh, that's very harmful to any, uh, you know, causes. And, and and this is happening. I know it's there's been attacks on people in the anti-war context or whatever, different movements uh, that are very weak right now. Still, uh, there's been the it's very divisive to rebuilding an actual left. It's, uh, you know, basically like a McCarthy kind of thing that's going to take the heart out of a movement because everybody's call, looking for the turf to throw out. I was just reading some of the history of the McCarthy era and the ACLU um, actually reported to to uh, Hoover <laughs> about some folks in the ACLU. And, and uh, so they have a history of kind of selling out people um, in the past. Uh, but yeah, this stuff is like really, really divisive and destructive of rebuilding um, actual progressive movements and an actual radical left. Uh, very, very divisive. And um, and you know, and and you know, efforts at unionizing, all of that, where the United States is like the worst in the in the world, right? In terms of unions, and we have so little left yet. You know, we're busy trying to get out the find out who the turf is and investigate the turf get the turf thrown out that then they're not going to unite as workers they're not going to organize a union they're not going to do anything i quit this last socialist group i was in called solidarity what a name i helped found this group in the 80s uh and i was basically forced to leave because they were going to investigate me under their um what do they call it the uh gender uh violence task force <laughs> because i of my violence was to assert that women have rights as sex. That was my violence. And they were actually going to investigate me. And that was like, I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm done. And that was, and then I was involved in the defense of the Green, uh, the Georgia Green Party that was um, thrown out of uh, the National Party.
Um, and I was part of that defense. Uh, and then we formed that new little green group that's uh, gender critical. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just amazing. People are not thinking, they're not engaging in real debate. All they do is name call and demonize and that's it. So you can't think when they just say bigot, 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 bigot. There's no discussion. There's no like, what, what, what bigotry against who? What? What are you talking about? What are you talking about? It's just, <laughs> um, who's a bigot here? <laughs> really? I mean, well, that's the question that's never answered. Uh, when you ask, well, what rights do these people not have? That can never. That's just the magical question that's never answered. Right. What rights are you talking about? You want what rights are you talking about? Yeah, I don't think any. I don't think my trans-identified coworkers should have been fired because they're trans or identify as trans. I don't think. I don't. I don't agree with that. But I wasn't trying to get them fired. They were trying to get me fired. <laughs> I mean, this is. Yeah. Right. Like I don't have to agree with people to think they should have their job. Lots of people, co-workers have beliefs I don't agree with. That's fine. Why are they imposing beliefs on me? That's what it is. It's imposing, uh, you know, it's, it, it was basically I had the wrong, uh, it was a thought crime. It was a thought crime and a speech crime. And that was it. Uh, and it wasn't against anybody's rights. I wasn't against, I just don't agree that they're the sex they say they are, or that there's no such thing as sex, or that sex, they, they were taught us that sex was a invention of white colonialism. Well, there you go. The, the sex <laughs> race conundrum rears its head again. It's insane. Now, well, you see a lot of crossovers with this. It's, it blew my mind when I started to see it on Twitter from around 2014, 15. It was a really big deal. Just whenever you said, no, women don't have penises. Oh, you're a racist. And I realized very quickly that they had been trained almost, it was like watching Mormons on speed. They had been trained as to what to say, even the illogical things they were trained to say because they were taught that people will not be able to respond to you coherently. Of course you can't. You can't respond. If you say to someone, how are you doing? And they say, the sky is overclouded. You know, they're non sequiturs. And of course you can't respond to an incoherent answer. And they count on that. And then they say, oh, you're a genital fetishist. So they jump from racist to genital fetishist. And you're just saying, I'm a lesbian. I don't sleep with men. But that makes you a genital fetishist racist and Hitler. Hitler falls in there sometime. Hitler, Hitler, right. I know. The the thing about Nazi and Hitler, I mean, that was when that, that hit me in 2016, they said I was a Nazi and a promoter of genocide. When I've had family, I'm Jewish, I have family who died in my name, who died, I didn't know them, I didn't know them, but people, my name, uh, Menashe, were victims of the Holocaust. And, and so... What? I mean, to try to do that. And then they tell me. You probably had a hand in that, too. Right. I mean, you know, I mean, this is how ridiculous this narrative is. They go back to, I mean, but why haven't they gone back and made us all culpable of the Holocaust? Because they've gone back to Stonewall. They can just go back another 20 years earlier. <laughs> they already are doing that. But it's just so, it's such an insult to, to it trivializes the experience of having family who died in the Holocaust. It just trivializes it by, by, and throwing around Nazi when it's it's a, it's absurd or calling me a right wing. I mean, they were debating some of them. It was my people who knew me through my homeless work were were saying I was really right wing. I just didn't know who I was. 
<laughs> I, I really, I'm just a secret right winger and I'm thinking, no, I, I, that doesn't, because I don't think children should get mutilated. It doesn't mean I'm a right winger. <laughs> there are so many people. Have you ever thought of even putting out there on social media to form a group of other people in the state of California who've been fired because they do not cave into ridiculous anti-science ideology? Because it's akin to firing you for saying that the earth is not flat. Exactly. Well, exactly. You know, Simon Edge. I love his book. <laughs> I have a small, a relatively small employer, though the biggest uh, legal nonprofit in the state of California, but we have a couple hundred employees. So there's no class action possible because, uh, uh, and I don't know how many, if you hear, I would like to know if there are other people uh, who are suing, and I'm sure there are lots of people who've been fired, but who are actually suing in court over it. Um, and uh, I, I, I haven't actually heard in the United States. I mean, certainly in the UK, a lot, several, but I haven't heard in the US if that's happened if it has happened. I'd certainly like to talk about it. Um, we certainly could work together in some fashion. This is the irony. I keep thinking, oh, the laws need to be changed, but there are laws to protect women. There are laws to protect gay men and lesbians. But this pernicious gender ideology lobby has been able to run roughshod over the rights of both groups. Right. By redefining out of existence sex and sexual orientation. I am in contact with people in the Bay Area who've been excommunicated from their socialist groups. Have you had a similar response to the groups you've, you mentioned one already, yes, but have you had any kind of support from socialist groups or have you been expelled altogether? But the last socialist group I was in was Solidarity. And that was a few years ago, maybe 2018 or something that I, I got into a debate on this issue with a friend of mine. Uh, and we got attacked viciously. We went to the conference. They barely, nobody wanted to say hello to us. Um, and then when they started talking about investigating me for, you know, violence, <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to put up with this garbage. And I quit um, and told them off and I quit. But I was basically being forced out. So um, and that group has gone downhill since then anyway. So I don't I'm not missing anything. I mean, the United States is like, really, there isn't a whole lot of socialist anything right now. Um, I wouldn't. Um, I'm, I'm to the left of the DSA, and I wouldn't want get along that well with them anyway, but they're certainly all in on trans stuff, so I wouldn't put up with that. They, um, in the Green Party still, uh, they haven't, well, it'd be hard to expel me because I'm not, you know, you don't expel a member of the Green Party that's registering, if you're, but I, I'm actually in the, in our little tiny local San Diego Greens, and I'm, so I'm still in there. But I had, you know, I was involved in a big fight about Georgia and I'm in the Green Alliance for Sex-Based Rights, which is leftist. I mean, the what who's in the Green Alliance? Present and former Greens who are gender critical, focusing on the issues of feminist issues. We're, fight, we're talking about the ERA, Equal Rights Amendment, we're, and, we're fighting, and we're fighting on women's spaces and, and you know, the whole gender stuff. So we're, we're pretty focused on those things. I think most of them are, they're either anarchists or socialists, but we're not kind of focused on that. We're focused on the women's rights side. Um, and so, I mean, so no, there's no, there's not a whole lot of socialist anything specifically. Um, you know, I'm just kind of a lone socialist um, pretty much. <laughs> so I'm a lone socialist, but uh, 
that's not changed. My politics has not really changed. The world changed. The world changed on me. I I have the same, you know, basically the same politics. Not that I never modified my views or whatever, but I I'm basically have the same politics as I've always had. And um, yeah, because I mean, I was always really outspoken, active as a lesbian feminist. I founded a a lesbian feminist group in San Francisco um, decades ago that lasted for a few years called Lesbian Uprising, um, started Feminist and Struggle after this whole gender thing hit with me and my Facebook page at work. And, and I decided to form Feminist and Struggle. Um, and I you know, was involved in the Green Party strug uh, struggle and co-founded co the Green Alliance for Sex-Based Rights. So I, you know, that's my, but basically um, I don't have what I used to have. I don't have, I mean, mass feminist groups, you know, really like in my neighborhood, in my town, in my city. I don't have mass anything. There's, everything is very small. It's like you sh they shrunk the movement. In the United States, a movement is tiny. Any movements that are worthy of the name are tiny. So it's, it's tough.